0: The pioneering spirit to me is about breaking fallow ground in myself, and on behalf of others so that the good seeds of life might flourish and bloom on the winds of kindness and change for the good of all to benefit.
1: The tears were rolling down my cheek, and I realized then that the emotions were coming out of my soul, out of my body, which I needed to do. It was like a poison that was being released. Whilst it's lovely to have a good adoption, it's also good to express the feelings of those where it probably hasn't gone according to plan. And yeah, and I would say to anybody that's thinking of writing a book, do it. You know, it's not easy, you need to pace yourself, you need to plan it out, you need—you don't need to rush it. Beautiful photograph of a thunderstorm, he said, it's not what life throws at you that defines you. It's how you react to what life throws at you that defines you. Don't get downhearted by failure. Sometimes you have to fail in order to win.
0: Hello. It is so good to be back and welcome to another really exciting episode of the Adoption Arena podcast. And my name is Joy Carter. Now today we have a really special feature on Adoption Arena called Author Gate. When we get to step through a brand new gate and meet a writer in the adoption, fostering and care field. Well, today's author is Michael Allen, and we chat, we share, we discuss. We want you to get involved with him as we go through his book, A Boy Named Tigger. Please let us know your comments, your feedback. If you listened to the previous episode and heard him read, go back, get involved, because I kid you not, when I started reading this book, I could not put it down. I was totally and utterly Glued, it's heartfelt, it's real. We come into this journey with him and we walk through all the mountains, the hilltops, we go through the whole thing, the valleys of his adoption experience. You cannot afford to not read this book. Please do subscribe to the Adoption Arena podcast. Follow us on Adoption Arena podcast. On Instagram or Adoption Arena on Twitter for all the very latest news, and also don't forget, just uh, wish yourself over to AdoptionArena.com to get the full the full plethora of work that we're doing in this field. So let's just dive straight in. Kind of just tell our listeners a little bit about the book in in a few sentences. What you know, what is it about?
1: Well, it's about my adoption. I was adopted just after the Second World War and it was very strange really because uh, apparently my real mother and father hadn't been together long. He was a career soldier so it wasn't just in the war and obviously they didn't get on and they separated. Uh, My mother was then left with a newborn baby in London with no visible sign of income. So I then went to her sister in the Cotswold area of the country hoping to be retained within the family but unfortunately the husband wouldn't hear of it. So I then went to another uh, sister down in Cornwall for a brief period Uh, and then the story goes a little bit hazy because I actually ended up at a place called Horseshoe Lodge where I was with an auntie Peter who I eventually thought with my, my mother and obviously the man of the house was my father and two children, my brother and sister. Um, the, the stipulation of my real father was that I was to go to a family that could provide me with private education. Now, remembering it's just after the war, this family I was with at Horseshoe Lodge were also struggling. They had two children to bring up. So it was a, it was a real problem. Um, and the, Within 24 hours, I was with them, by the way, for three to four years, three and a half years. But within a 24 hour period, I was suddenly whisked away to uh, another family uh, in Worthing, West Sussex, where I was uh, then to another couple for a brief period until I eventually went to my adoptive parents who I had never met was taken by this auntie peter who i really adored really lovely person to this these couple waiting literally on the doorstep for the car to arrive introduced as they were to be my parents for the rest of my life so that is how the the adoption process started but as i understand i was with them for 6 months or plus before i was actually adopted so it was a very strange situation and one, of course, because of my age, I can still remember quite vividly, hence being able to write the book in such detail. I think One of the things that I
0: really like about your book is the first half, you really, really get a, a child's eye view of this whole thing of what it's like to feel displaced and just move from pillar to post I mean you've captured the the feeling absolutely brilliantly and I just want to say to anyone who's listening to this if you are um, a social worker or you're thinking of going to any type of practitioning work or even if you are potentially thinking of becoming an adoptive parent please do continue continue listening to Michael's interview because I just think it's really important to to, to see what it's Killed and feel like when they say, Right, you've got 24 hours to pack up and get out, you know, and how that impacted you. When we were talking earlier, we talked very briefly about the impact of living in a family after the war. Do you remember having any sense of, of, of how that could have impacted your adoptive parents?
1: Well, of course, at that age, i had got no recollection of the war because I was, you know, born in 1945. But my adoptive parents had a little shop opposite the bungalow where we lived. And of course, they were trying to make their way in life, um, earn some money. And I do remember people coming in with these funny cards. And of course, I didn't know what they were. But of course, they were rationing books. So yes, from that perspective, I, I do. And the overriding thing with my mother, particularly, was money. It was always money. How important money is, and you know, you wasn't mustn't waste money. And later in life, the private education—you must do well at school, otherwise, it wasted money. So, the money theme was was throughout. And of course, the over the other thing I like to say is through the adoption is that. Because I came from such a loving family in the earlier part, Auntie Auntie Peter, I, I did feel an overwhelming sense of rejection. And that has remained with me in periods throughout my life. You know, if you're rejected for a job or rejected by a girlfriend or something like that, it has quite an impact. And it's something that I've obviously had to fight against and rise above, as it were.
0: Yeah, I think you know, we'll get onto that a little bit later when we talk about the impact that's the adoption, that sense of loss and trauma has had as you developed. And that's one thing I really love about the book. You've really encapsulated that really, really well. It was a a difficult adoption in many ways, wasn't it? You just go straight into a loving family and everything is so-called okay. You actually got adopted by, you know, your mother, your adopted mother actually turned out to be very abusive, threatened your life, you know, probably on, on more than one time. I mean, with all that experience going on, Would you say that you're still pro-adoption? Do you still believe in adoption? Because I know there's a very strong anti-adoption movement out there at the moment where people who feel, who rightly so have been through horrible times, but they now feel they want to actually try to abolish adoption. What are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I I think adoption is most important because I think it's really important for every child in the world, irrespective of where they come from, their race, creed or colour, that they should have the comfort of a loving family, it, it is so important, that bond. And if it's done right, not everything works out in life. Of course it doesn't. But, you know, an adoption by people that choose you, you know, it, it's so, so important. And I think that a lot of children have gone off the rails because they've gone into care where, you know, they're cared for but not loved as you would be with with a family unit. So yes, adoption is most important. And I have to say, there is more and more coming onto Twitter, whether it's a result of me putting messages on there and me advertising Adoption Arena, I don't know. But I've had tweets from America, tweets from Southern Ireland, for instance. So yes, I'm strongly in belief that adoption is a very, very good thing.
0: With the situation with your adoptive mother did she ever get any sort of help or, or rather as a child obviously when you realised that she was not very well at all mentally did you have a voice I, You know did was there anybody that you could complain to about the fact that yeah she was abusing you
1: not outside of the family because i mean social services and that sort of thing was was not really very prevalent and nobody really knew much about it and you know i didn't do that anyway because it would have created uh, a lot of ructions but I did speak to my godfather I remember he lived around the corner he was a very educated knowledgeable man and he saw things from both sides and I often remember going around there on a Saturday um, when my mother was in a mood um, you know shouting and all that and I used to literally take myself off round the corner uh, just to unwind and offload and that was so important and in later years, obviously, to girlfriends and obviously to my loving wife. So, yes, but in the earlier days, it was probably just my, uh, my godfather.
0: Did anybody else in the family actually realize that you were being abused? Did anybody actually try and stand up for you?
1: My grandmother did because she witnessed the time when my, well, I won't tell you to tell, say too much on here because I will like people to read the book but the time she filled up the bath and threatened to drown me um, my grandmother witnessed that and was hysterical and actually took herself back home to Leicester
0: so it's 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 interesting isn't it because it's like dealing with trauma I mean yeah let's just jump straight in with I mean obviously that trauma we know that trauma does stay in the body or the memories we know that that can become very much a big part of you have you ever sought any sort of help you know even now in later life have you actually <clears throat> had any sort of therapy or tried anything
1: yes I have apart from writing the book which therapy and we'll talk about that later during my period at work when my mother had died and promised to leave me all her money and et cetera, et cetera, and left it actually to my son and not to myself I I got this job where I was I had the ability to earn a lot of money for retirement and it took over my life, worked it. And then when I was had my office at home, you know, it, it took over even more of my life. And my family were putting, put on the back burner somewhat. So my loving dear wife rang my line manager up and said, you know, Mike needs help. And the company actually paid for me to have 12 sessions with a counsellor. And the first thing when I met her, she said, there is a glass of water, they're the tissues, you will be needing them. And I did. But it was so, so helpful. And although it was later in life in my 50s, it it really made me cry. And so these pent up feelings came out, which were so, so necessary. If anyone's listening and feels that, that you know, that, all, that whole question of should he get
0: counselling? There's never a right or wrong time apart from when you know it's your time to get help because you can't move on. You can't move forward. And also sometimes you're going around the same patterns. Did you ever feel like you're doing the same, you're making the same decisions again and again?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, it it is. But I have to say the counselling helped me move forward. Also, I suppose to a degree confirmed that there were loving people around me who wanted to help me and respected me. And respected what I was going through, and respect is a word that I've, I think, has been lost in society so much, and uh, just a little respect goes a long way.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's so just. And I think I think the
1: thing about trauma,
0: doesn't it? It shuts you down, doesn't it? You can't see anything good beyond the vision. You look out of the the window, you see everything is dark, and everyone's against you, and there's that fight, and you know. I mean I was a workaholic and still fighting that in some ways you know in in so much that you always feel like you've got to achieve more you've always got to do more you've always got to be the best but actually that sense of achievement starts within doesn't it you have to actually make peace with yourself
1: yes yes indeed yeah I mean in my last job I went through a lot for two years passing exams to be able to carry on the job that I was doing and be licensed to but I ended up sort of top of the company for a year and it was a terrific sense of achievement but at what cost sometimes to the family and that is one of the reasons I actually retired I said you know I don't need to earn all this money we're happy as we are with what I've got I need to spend some time with my family before I have no family
0: yeah it's 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 interesting isn't it because because the whole concept of We know that often there can be a war inside yourself, can't there? A war to find peace, you know, the the war to say, I'm determined to overcome the wars that I've had in my life, because it has to be dealt with, doesn't it? Otherwise it just sort of lives on, and then everybody else becomes part of that war that you're then fighting. Yeah,
1: Yeah. gnaws away like a cancer. In writing the book, you said you wrote it because
0: you felt it was going to be cathartic to you to get your voice out. Was it? And and how did you actually go about you know writing it? I mean, did you just literally just go go through all your notes? You know, how did you actually start writing
1: it? Well, we spoke earlier about not rushing things, and I certainly didn't rush writing the book. It, it was over a period of the years that I started to make notes because I had in the back of my mind I'd like to write a book. But whilst we were living in England, my life was quite hectic, a lot of things taking place. And in order to write a book, which I'd never had any experience of writing before, I had to be calm in my own mind and do it at the right time. And then when we decided to move to Spain because one of our sons had moved out there, it was an ideal time because there wasn't so much going on uh, really. So once we'd got over the initial euphoria of moving to a new country, a new experience, I sat down, Our house was such that I could lock myself away, get on the laptop and start writing. I'd made a number of notes in a book And so I collated those notes and started to write. And obviously that was therapy in itself. And I have to say, during the first chapters, the tears were rolling down my cheek. And I realized then that the emotions were coming out of my soul, out of my body, which I needed to do. It was like a poison that was being released. And you know, I'm even feeling a bit emotional now, if you like, but it was so essential for me to do that Um, And I didn't write the book for fame and fortune, of course not, but I wrote it not only for myself, but for others, hopefully that it would get published and that others could read it, understand and probably share in some of the traumas that they were going through, because whilst it's lovely to have a good adoption, it's also good to express the feelings of those where it probably hasn't gone according to plan and therefore for to to write this book would let other people know they're not alone but um you know they're going through similar things and we're here to help to listen and and discuss those things you know one thing that
0: i'm i've been learning at the moment is time is cyclical and it's kind of interesting isn't it when you when you when you're at a point and you look back if you like round the circle and you see all the things you've gone through and then those things, and when you come to the end, like obviously you saw yourself at the beginning and all the emotion was there, but now you're, you know, you're moving now into another circle, into another timeline, if you like. It's, very, it's, it's actually quite beautiful because you see yourself thinking, am I going to make this? And obviously you did, but here yes. you are. And you can push
1: through. Yeah, and I would say to anybody that's thinking of writing a book, do it. You know, it's not easy. You need to pace yourself. You need to plan it out. You, need, you don't need to rush it um, and, you know, choosing a publisher was probably a little bit difficult and there are a multitude of publishers out there. But when I sent the manuscript off and I got the review back, I was really touched. They said it would resonate with a lot of people how well it was written. And I thought, well, they are the professionals, that was so good to hear. And then they, when they said, yes, we would recommend publication, absolutely wonderful. So, you know, that was one of the first steps in getting it out there to the public.
0: So what do you hope to achieve from getting the book out? Because obviously it's been cathartic for yourself. And obviously you want to inspire more people to maybe talk about their adoptions. But is there anything specific that you'd like this to now become a platform for you to build on? You know, where where do you see this going?
1: Well, I from the perspective of the book itself and the messages that have been created, because in writing the book, you've got to make it interesting. You've got to have some humor in it. Doom and gloom will put people off. You know, have to know when to cut off because it becomes too boring because it's your personal life. But the messages I would convey to, to people and what I've got out of it is have the never say die attitude. Never let anybody tell you, you can't do something. You know, if you want to do something, you get on and do it. And get help if if that's necessary, but don't tell it, let anybody tell you that you're a failure, because everybody has their qualities, everybody has something to give, and that is the message I would give and there's few words I would like to say is that uh, something that my manager gave me in a beautiful beautiful photograph of a thunderstorm he said it's not what life throws at you that defines you, it's how you react to what life throws at you that defines you and how true that is. And I think I've reacted fairly well in many different instances, you know, take my horse riding. I couldn't ride a horse at 23. By 27, 28, I'd won a championship at Hickstead, the all England jumping course, not jumping, but showing. And that was an achievement in itself uh, because my family weren't, country people but I I love the countryside so I adapted and you know won through so it's a sense of achievement the will to win don't get downhearted by failure sometimes you have to fail in order to win
0: so do you think that's one of the benefits that you could say to people maybe who've been adopted or fostered or in care they're listening to this do you think that that is something which you think maybe you've got that characteristic directly from all the things you went through as a child strength of character do you think it's come from, from, from your adoption experience
1: yes I think there is I mean when I was going through my bad times I used to stand in front of a mirror and, and say all the swear words that I could think of just to get my frustrations out of me and there was there was something deep inside me that said, this person is not going to put me down. It's not going to make me a failure. But I was talking to somebody that had read the book this morning, and they said, it's interesting. If you are adopted, do you follow the route of that adopted parent? Do they make you what you are? Or is it the genes within you from your real parents that make you what you are? That's an interesting conundrum. I don't know. I I know that I am what I am and I've made myself what I am. And um, my son is a little bit like me. He wasn't an academic, but he's enjoying and successful in his his outdoor job that he does at the moment. And so there are certain parallels. You don't have to be a brilliant academic to be successful. And, And success takes itself in many different forms. And you don't have to be a millionaire to be successful but and and so people many people relate money to success, and it's not it's how you feel within yourself that you've achieved something and I think that's the message in the book there's there's diff different messages that people read, and it's a book you could read again and think, oh, I wonder what that was and then you know people that have passed reviews to me or commented to me about it say this is interesting part of it that's interesting and for me I think you know you've read the book properly <laughs> yeah and that's one thing that I really love about the book is it's
0: it's there's lots of times when you think oh how are you going to get through this and you literally just seem to just get up do what you need to do dust yourself down and then move on yeah. and that is super 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 powerful because if you've got that ability of being able to just reformat yourself realign and then keep moving ahead and not take things too personally but deal with what you've got to do it is what it is kind of thing but have that desire to live and to to flourish I really feel like always in the book even as a child you've always got this desire to flourish yeah. and to find something positive to even just one like one lovely person, like you mentioned about your granddad, you know, um the
1: godfather, yeah,
0: godfather, yeah. or some or you know, and just see the one good person. Okay, there's lots of terrible things going on, but one good person, you go, that is that there's someone, then that gives you that strength to keep going. And I really love that about the book. It's a real desire to go, glass half full, glass half half empty. I'm going to drink the half full and we're going to keep moving forward. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we had teachers at school who knew what I was going through. And one particular teacher took me under his wing. And there was in the sports arena. I loved that particularly long distance running because I could get my frustrations out. And they, were, they encouraged me to do it. And, and that was great. You know, sport is, is so good for people who have got frustrations.
0: Yeah, and, and especially I guess for a lot of young men, you know, because I guess the, the temptations today are, you know, to 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 you know to get into violence or you know whatever um, gangs or whatever. But I I feel that it's just finding that something positive that you like doing that you will do anyway. That you can get out what you need to get out of your system if it's ever really out. But it's a way of dealing with it, isn't it? Until you're in a safe yeah. place. Yeah, with yeah. right people around you that you can then talk to yeah. a friend or family member and go I trust you to share my heart you know and that's something I really love about the book is it's it's really in, inspiring knowing that there's so many dark places but even the darkness as I always say there's always diamonds to be had if you can <laughs> see them and you can see him there's so many times like that time you cycled 186 miles to get away from your mother who's trying to kill you that I was reading that going oh my gosh I know the A3 that is a dangerous road even in a car (laughs) I I, I struggle with that road let alone to be on a push bike and a child in the dark is horrendous and um and yet you came through it and and I just, I just love that. And that's, it's very real. It's very raw. You don't dwell on stuff. You go, this is what happened. This is the outcome. This is what I've learned. And this is what I've moved on. And I like the pace of the book because it's it, it's not, you don't dwell on stuff for like six no. chapters, no. which you could easily have done about your mother, you know, um, or about, you know, the abuse. And then that happened. And I love that pace. It's a really great read because it's like, it's, it's, I guess that's the wisdom of you know of age. I hate saying that, but it's a certain wisdom we have. I <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that. That's what I try to generate because you don't want to bore the pants off people. You you have to know when to say that's enough of that. Let's move on to something else.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's really it's it's a really friendly book. Um, and, and as you said, it's a really I, I don't like the term an easy read, but but it's a lovely read. It's it's like. Um, it's it's like a really wonderful life journey that is full of all the twists and turns. But there's lots of interesting things, with all the different careers you've had, the people you've learned, the things you've lessons you've learned, the life lessons you've learned along the way. Now, I, I just really wanted to touch on this as well because it is topical at the moment. Is the whole thing of adoption and war? Yes. Um, and the importance, as we all know, of of adoption, also in my case, transracial adoption. Because obviously, there's lots of children who are now going to be up for adoption, who probably parents have already perished in this Ukrainian war that is just happening right now, let alone all the other wars and famines that are going on. What are your thoughts on on, on overseas adoption? Do you think children should stay in their countries of origin?
1: I think it's a very difficult one, particularly, you know, I think a child, if possible, should stay in their own country. However, that is not always possible. And, and of course, in your case, in the case of these poor Ukrainians, for example. Um, so if they go to a loving family, but they retain perhaps their heritage as they grow up and they can refer back to it, go back to their country uh, you know, in more peaceful times, they have a blend of both. And you hear often of people like yourself, who have been adopted by um, different racial people that worked well, but obviously they retain their roots, as it were, so they can go back. I mean, in an ideal situation, it would be lovely to think that um, they could be adopted by somebody in Ukraine. So they were true Ukrainians. But uh, unfortunately, these children, um, it's a bitter pill to swallow that they're going to often be second best to that. But only second best not being in their own country, but first best because they have a loving, loving family relationship. And I'm sure there will be a lot of people out there looking for the, um, children to adopt because they can't have children of their own. And if they're in this country, France or Germany, Poland, Hungary or wherever it is, as long as they've got the comfort and security of their, their own home, then when they grow older and they're able to make their own decisions as to whether they want to go back to their own country or visit, but still retain, you know, the loving family ties that they built up during their adoption period, then that, that, that is all you can ask for.
0: Yeah, because I think that is the biggest problem. I think anyone who's been adopted, whether it's been transracially or just in general, is you touched on it earlier. You've got all the the chromosomes and obviously your genealogy is inside of you. If you traced your biological parents, you could see that you've probably got so many characteristics, obviously from them, from the X and Y chromosome. However, there's also all the identity that you also get from your growing up, from your nurturing parents as well so if like you've got now four strands
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: of information yeah. which is a massive confusion and you have to and that I think you just have to kind of work that out in your life I know I was always struggling I didn't know who I was and I, there was no answers but I've since realized the answers are within you've yes. got to make peace with what you want to do like you said you had no desire to really ride horses but you taught yourself because you wanted to because you could whether yes. your mum did it or your dad did it, or maybe, but you wanted to do it. And I think there's a point you had to just say, this is my lot. I'm going to, I like this. I don't like that. I'd like to do this. That's the end of it.
1: And also when you consider anybody that does a DNA test, we have got a multitude of different races within us that we never knew we had anyway.
0: Well, this is the thing. And and, and that's what makes me sad in so much that I I, I speak to people who say, you know, I'll be happy when I could just find my, my biological dad or find yeah. my biological mum. And that can answer a lot of questions, but it can also bring up a lot more questions as well. Um, yes. and, and that usually does. You've got thousands more questions and a lot more family and all their issues. And that can be good if that's right for you. I never yeah. chose to do that myself because I kind of, and because I've kind of made peace with that. I've I've made peace with who I am. I I find my peace in people that I call family. Yes. Like one of my best friends, she's very blonde, she's completely the opposite of me, but in character, we're very similar. Sure. And I've sort of made her my sister. So I've got all these other family members that I've just got I call them family now.
1: Yeah, yeah, why not? You know, it it it, it and sometimes you know it's what's what's good for you but also you have to do with the thought of your adoptive parents, whether they're happy with it, because, you know, it doesn't always work out. If you start stirring up and digging up the past, it doesn't always work out for the best. I mean, the the couple we were with this morning who read the book, she was adopted. Um, her two real sisters, no, I think it was a brother, one of the brothers and sisters accepted her. And I think there were two more sisters, didn't want to know and still don't want to know after years, because it stirs up too many emotions that maybe they can't cope with. They've got enough in their life to cope with, and this just tips them over the edge. Um, we are a funny human beings. We're a funny lot, aren't we, sometimes?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very difficult issue. I mean, we know, because as adopted people, we spent a lifetime trying to get our heads around it. Yes. And if you've not had that, um, you know rocking up to a family and going let's all be friends it, people just can't cope with it I completely understand that because it's so difficult um, I mean I don't talk to my parents very much about it um, because it's this is my thing and this is what I've chosen to talk yeah. about and that's fine um, you know if I'm doing any magazines or any television or anything I'll reference it and they'll watch it and they've always supported me but it's not their thing, it's my thing and that's how I've got round I don't have to spend that, I don't want I don't need their approval anymore and I don't need them to understand what I understand about it because that's That's not their story. It's mine.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: that's okay. Not everyone's going to get it. Some of my friends don't want to talk about it. That's not bad. It's just, that's just the way it is. So I've found that to to go where I'm welcome. If people want to talk about it, great. People are angry about it. I completely get that. But I've found, if you like, you've got to find your tribe. Find the people that get you, get your life, love your book. They're going to love
1: it. And there's always going to be angry people. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, I... I would have loved to have met my mother. Um, And it's only after my adoptive mother died that I dug around. And although I was born in Guy's Hospital in London and went to Gotswold, my mother lived six miles away from me in Worthing. And she died four years after I then found out about my real family and contacted family members. So that was sad, but, it's gone. You can't do anything about it. You move on,
0: and, and like you said, you really have moved on. You've got the most amazing wife and family, by the yeah. sound of it. Yeah. And and I think there's a point you just have to just go. We've, got, we've just got to do what we have, what we can do. And I've made peace with lots of things. I had a twin sister. Um, yeah. And again, I platform that I found this This is something we're going to talk about as well, how to get your brain to a place of peace when there are those dead ends, if you like. And one thing that I do or, um, or that I find some information on is um, on my birthday, because obviously it's bittersweet because obviously it's my birthday, but she, she died. At yeah. birth, it would have been her birthday is I often have an extra glass of champagne
1: for her. Lovely, lovely. Yes, I'm sure she's up there cheering you on.
0: <laughs> exactly, and it's it's just you know. So I I found ways of just just making peace and making it beautiful.
1: So you know the future is looking very very good, and I'm very uh, happy about how it's going at the moment.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for that. I mean, I've I've just really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more and and reading the book. And so please do tell people, let people know, get the word out. And if you are interested in Michael Allen, then please, please do um, invite him down. all the information is down below to come to your bookshop or to your events I know you'll be very happy to do any signings or readings up and down the country over the next six six to eight months and I think it's it's a really great read and I'm really excited to have you run our very first author gate.
1: Joy I, I really want to thank you very much for giving me the opportunity of not only talking to you but also talk about my book so thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time and listening and engaging with us and coming on this really exciting life journey with us. Please do subscribe. And of course, if you would like to donate to Adoption Arena, just go and push the button (laughs) and uh, please support our work. Well, listen, I look forward to hearing from you and meeting you and talking with you again on our next Exciting episode. You take care. Catch you really soon. Goodbye. A pioneering spirit to me is about breaking fallow ground in myself and on behalf of others so that the good seeds of life might flourish and bloom on the winds of kindness and change for the good of all to benefit.